Hey, good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. It's really windy out there. Is it? But, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have the rain. We, uh, yes. we need the moisture, I guess. Uh, moon pies. <laughs> Boy, was it Mike and the moon pies? I, yes. I was thinking while I was going on, I haven't had a moon pie. I was in, of all places, Memphis, Tennessee, and they always talked about Elvis having a RC Cola and a moon pie. Well, what What is a moon pie? I, I don't even know. Is it, It's not a Wisconsin thing, I don't think. No, I don't. I, I'm assuming it's from down south. It's uh, it, it's like sugar <laughs> wrapped in more sugar. I guess yes. would be it. And they're uh, moon pies. So you can get them chocolate. I, they're banana. I think they come in a bunch of different flavors. And I remember as a kid having them on occasion. So they were sort of a Twinkie-like thing. But they're they're really sweet, and I had a moon pie with water because I'm not a, a soft drink drinker. So, but it's um, I think it's graham crackers and marshmallows, and then they have some sort of flavored coating on it. So, <laughs> health food I got it at a health food store yes. down there in Memphis, and it was it was it was all right. Uh, spring has sprung, and the birds return from that mysterious place called South. And uh, apparently, spring has sprung a leak by the looks of my boots. <laughs> and if you, folks, if you want to be outstanding, you know, stand outside in the spring because spring is when I, when the Chihuahuas venture outside without their sweaters. And uh, uh, Terry Gillimets wrote, "My favorite weather is bird." chirping weather. An anonymous wrote, spring has sprung, the grass has riz, I wonder where the birdies is. And the birdies are here and they are on their way. So uh, enjoy your robins and look for fox sparrows, golden crown kinglets, tree swallows, yellow-bellied sapsuckers, uh, increasing numbers of turkey vultures, American white pelicans, hermit thrushes, ospreys, uh, American woodcock, eastern phoebes, what else? Uh, purple martins in the next week or so. Uh, American coots, uh, nesting Canada geese, uh, greening lawns, of course. And when you start listening for spring peepers and chorus frogs, and in parts of the state, wood frogs. And, oh, I believe in the miracle of birds each time one swings into my field of view. If I'm fortunate, I might get to enjoy the dancing talents of sandhill cranes. And reason number 397 why I like birds, uh, just because. Hey, Al, Uh, you were mentioning the birds coming in. I just got a a text from one of our listeners. It didn't didn't say who they are, but they live in the Lincoln Park here in Mankato, says, Karen, tell Al the robin showed up in Lincoln Park in Mass yesterday. Oh, it's from our friend uh, Daryl. Daryl. Okay, got it. I see it here. So so apparently they're in Lincoln Park now, and they're, they've shown up in Mass. Thanks, Daryl. Yeah, and when they start running across the lawn and chasing one another, then you're going to have <laughs> some of those will be territorial birds. Uh. So when they come in flocks, usually they get along pretty well because they're, they're all just trying to get somewhere and helping one uh, get there. But once they start doing this robin running across the lawn and chasing one another, then they're, uh, they're territorial birds. And they're, if not at their home, it's a place where they'd like be their home. 
Uh, talk to Kent Spellman. Kent's from Albert Lee, and he's got some bare root trees. And he said, uh, ask uh, ask you and Karen when you should plant them. I'd plant them in early spring before any growth begins on them. I don't know, and you probably have something to add to that, Karen. I, I that's what I'd do, I guess, if they were mine. Um, Gretchen Taylor saw a purple finch. Andrea Maurer sent me a audio of red-winged blackbird males singing Look at Me. Uh, Randy Schott of Ellendale saw some white-winged crossbills. What beautiful birds. And John from New Alm said, How did the man on the moon cut his hair? I'll uh, listen to the theme from Jeopardy for just a minute. You're all coming up with an answer. Eclipse it. Oh, thank you, John. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee said, We had siskins in numbers and red poles this year. A lot of goldfinches, some juncos, plus the usual suspects. Numbers falling off now with spring peaking over the southern horizon, of course. The last couple of days, one lone male red pole that didn't get the memo seems healthy enough. It will officially be spring. When the last red pole has packed up and left for home, not when a robin arrives. It, we, Gunner and I have both spent a lot of time down in the lower Rio Grande Valley of Texas, and Gunner said, I began bird watching on my 12th or 13th birthday, the year every kid had mumps. My mother, a casual bird watcher, gave me a golden guide of birds of North America. I had the mumps trapped. But my birthday is May 15th, and it was a fallout. Warblers out every window. I was hooked. Then Lorna. Lorna's his wife. I was blessed. Our first dates were bird watching. I didn't even know there were other birders. I did not know there would be lifeless. We just went out for walks with cheap binoculars and looked at birds. List, at what point do you begin? I do know when I see a new bird, but the birds don't care. I do know how many warblers we've seen at home, only because spring visitors from Nelson, B.C. keep spreadsheets. 30 warblers, that's 30 warbler species, 31 if we count the Lawrences, and 5 vireos. Uh, Rick Mammal saw a white-throated sparrow, and he said, Al, may a bird perch on your head for the pleasure of finding a warm pal. Uh, thanks, I think, Rick. Uh, Tammy Vogel. Tammy works for the wonderful Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. They do uh, good work, and uh, boy, I'm being Minnesota modest when I say good. <laughs> it's an amazing place. I felt this is from Tammy. I felt it's important that we communicate our HPAI, H highly pathogenic avian influenza uh -huh. protocols directly with you, people who are passionate about birds. We've spent the past week consulting with federal agencies and other wildlife hospitals, and due to the high path nature of the virus, lack of a quick test, and inability to quarantine birds in individual rooms with separate air systems, we've made the grave decision to not admit susceptible species for rehabilitative treatment. This includes all species of ducks and diving birds, pelicans, raptors, gulls, tundra swans, and great blue herons. Unfortunately, there's no way for us to safely treat them, and quarantining them is not an option due to scale. You cannot quarantine birds together. Keeping the virus out of the building will hopefully prevent us from being closed by an agency for three to six weeks and or having to cull other avian patients. During our operating hours, 9 to 6 daily, we can offer humane euthanasia, 
to end suffering if you want to bring us injured, sick, or orphans, susceptible birds who will not survive on their own. We have protocols and signage in place for this. The box containing the susceptible species needs to stay outside. Raptors should go directly to the university's raptor center. As you can imagine, this is not a decision made lightly. We are so sad to see HPAI moving through the wild populations this time around. Al, don't you feel like it's deja vu, like this is the COVID for birds, except it's the avian yeah. flu, and now all this, you can't really quarantine them like they, they said, but it's just one of those horrible things that comes around and, and does its toll. Yeah, and you know, with the confined poultry, it's just uh, it, it's sad. It can get a foothold in those and just um, go like a wildfire. Yeah. A kind listener from Darien, Illinois, by the name of Thelma Hulka, uh, after hearing about my boyhood use of recycled catalogs and peach papers in the outhouse <laughs> I grew up with, sent me a roll of bamboo paper, oh. bamboo toilet paper. <laughs> So unroll. It's uh, beautiful, and it uh, the packaging proudly proclaims that it hangs both over and under. <laughs> so it's pretty nice. Getting well, that. how so how is that? Is is it soft like the peach peach wrappers, yeah. or is it more like the shiny pages of the Sears catalog? It's pretty soft. Oh, yeah, I haven't uh, made use of it, but you know, it's like Charmin. You got to squeeze it and look <laughs> at it. And I've never had bamboo toilet paper before that I'm aware of, anyway. So. Uh, I'm saving it for a special occasion, so I will just be. Uh, and Vicki LaRuen sent me a thing from It's Pickles. It's a comic strip, and Pickles always makes me laugh, and I'll try the best. My dad used to read the comics to me when I was a little boy. And this one, they're on the deck, and Grandpa's got his feet up on the deck rail sitting in a chair, and he's looking through binoculars, and the little grandson comes up and says, What are you looking at, Grandpa? And Grandpa grabs a bird book, and he says, I'm looking at that Cooper's hawk up on that pole. I bought this guidebook so I can learn about some of the birds around here. It tells all about each bird. I'm a little confused, though. It says the Cooper's hawk has reddish bars on his underpants. And the little grandson says, I think it says under parts. <laughs> and Grandpa says, well, that makes more sense. So... Thank you, Vicki. It, it made me laugh. There's a lot of great cartoons always out there about uh, uh, birds. Birding is a big thing, and there was one in the New Yorker the other day, and it had a couple. They were sharing a binoculars, and there's a guy a little ways from them, and he's got binoculars, a couple of spotting scopes, tripods, cameras. He's got a birding vest, a birding backpack, and one of those birding hats that uh, seem to proliferate among birders. And the woman says to the man, it's a slippery slope from a casual bird watcher to that guy. <laughs> and, yeah, it's uh, a lot of us are that guy. So, uh, Andrew Nihus saw a leaf sandpiper, a pectoral sandpiper, and a long-billed dowager, all in Brown County. And Diedrich Benz saw an American pipit in Brown County. The National Eagle Center wrapped up their bald eagle counts. They did a weekly winter bald eagle count. 
and it was a phenomenal viewing season along the upper Mississippi River, the most active in several years. They said, while not scientific, these weekly observations carried out by staff and volunteers help inform the public about bald eagle activity during the peak viewing season. And the 2022 winter season saw a significant increase in the weekly average, 409 bald eagles they saw on average uh, over last season when they saw 269. So it's an increase of 52%. Uh, 2022 represents an increase of 265% over the weekly from 219 when there was 112, which was a very quiet winter eagle viewing season. So it's, it's pretty cool. They do a lot of wonderful things over there. Uh, Matt Hazelcroft asked what could be chewing on the trunks of his grapevines. Uh, you know, there's a lot of insects, but it, this would be a mammal. There are three mammals that feast upon grapevines. Uh, meadow vole, which a lot of people call field mice, they girdle the trunks mm -hmm. and does the grapevine no good. Uh, deer find the new shoots attractive. So what I see them eating for the most part are new shoots. Rabbits chew and remove the bark and they clip off branches, young vines. They, they will feed on the trunks of established grapevines in the winter. So I, if I had to guess, Matt, which I certainly do, uh, I would say it would be our friend the rabbit, the cottontail. Uh, Gretchen Taylor asked why she notices goldfinches more during their spring molt than during their fall molt. And Gretchen, I think part of the reason we notice them more in the spring might be because they become brighter in the spring and then drabber in the falls when the males resemble females. So just speaking for myself, it grabs my eyes more when I see this bright yellow uh, goldfinches obtain their breeding plumage by replacing only their body feathers each spring. Their body plumage, flight, and tail feathers are replaced during a full molt each fall. So they go through two molts each year. Uh, one would be, I guess, a partial molt. It's pretty substantial, but it's still a partial, and then one complete molt each fall. So beginning in September and continuing for six to eight weeks, they molt all their feathers. They end up with a new set of drab feathers heading into winter. A uh, complete molt is exhausting and makes the birds vulnerable, and that makes them more secretive. In spring, the males transform into this bright yellow breeding plumage, but their wing and tail feathers remain from the previous fall. And as the wing feathers get older, the pale edges fade and disintegrate, so that by the end of the summer, the wings on those males, they look all black. So I think it's probably a combination of the two. They're just brighter. We notice some more. But in the fall, when they go through this complete molt, they hide a lot more. So we just don't see them as much. But great question. They're all great questions. I saw a quail in Lesseur. Is that part of its natural range? Uh, no, the, that northern bob white would have been a pen-raised bird that was either released or it escaped. And surveys, birding surveys, have found no wild populations, only introduced birds in uh, Minnesota. I know there's um, a lot of folks uh, 
believe, and probably rightfully so, that there was a natural population, maybe in southeastern Minnesota, but there's... uh, it's tough going through all the old journals and things because they called so many birds by different names, and mm-hmm. sometimes they use pretty creative spelling in those things. So if anybody's ever read the Lewis and Clark journals, it's it's creative spelling. I They would have flunked, oh, Mrs. Demmer <laughs> would have flunked them all at spelling. <laughs> How many, oh, this poor person just hit a deer and said, well, actually the deer hit her. She said, I was, I stopped to watch two go across. One came up and hit the side of my car. But I'm wondering how many deer are hit by cars each year? Well, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, there are over one million car accidents with deer each year, kills 200 Americans, causes more than 10,000 personal injuries, results in uh, well over $1 billion in vehicle damage. I say $1 billion and, you know, what does that mean to me? Uh, pretty much nothing. <laughs> $1 billion, a lot. It just comes out to a lot. Uh, the numbers of collisions, of course, are, are much, much higher than that because of all the unreported accidents. So if you're out there and you got a uh, you go and you hit a deer, you're probably not going to report it. So it's there's a lot of them out there. I drove this weekend going uh, 90 to Rochester and back. So many uh, live deer and dead deer on the, on I-90. So it's just a time of year, are all times of year, to be really careful about hitting those. Uh, do bald eagles incubate the eggs? You know they do. They're um, they're good dads. Both male and female eagles develop a brood patch. And what is a brood patch? It's a bare skin. They the feathers go away, and they have this bare skin, and they hold that directly against the eggs or chicks to keep them warm. And they share incubation responsibilities. But the female typically spends more time on the nest than the male. During the first four weeks after hatching. One, usually the female, broods the babies to keep them warm during cool weather. I read one uh, uh, paper done on this, and it was that the female brooded about 72%, according to that study. But I'm sure that varies a little bit. But it gives you kind of an idea. You could figure that I'm sure they're on there three-fourths of the time, most all of them. You know, I was I have the uh, DNR Eagle Cam open right now, and I'm looking at it, and the eagle, I don't know if it's a female or the male, but it's surrounded by dead things. There's like, a, I don't know what kind of it's yeah. a mole or a vole, and then there's some other, looks like some other chewn-up piece of meat, and then there's another thing by her. So she's just surrounded, or he or she, I, probably the she, right, is just surrounded, and the babies must be asleep under her, but... Is that normal to have, like, a big food? <laughs> it's yep. like a refrigerator without, you know, doors. Yeah, and the, the male sometimes will get carried away if he finds a lot of food. He'll just keep bringing oh, it. Okay. That, well, that's his job, you know. He's I would think a, it would start a, to stink a little bit or something. I'm right? sure it does. And owls, great horned owls, do that same thing. Oh. Only they will bring up... a. Uh, skunk on occasion Ooh. and I remember finding a great horn owl nest because I smelled a skunk and I just kept kind of circling and <laughs> circling and it got stronger and I thought where is this skunk and well he was way up in a tree not enjoying the, the process at all yeah and that nest I I see they had um, 
some fish, of course. They had a part of a deer carcass. They had a muskrat. They had a pigeon. And so I don't know if the eagle caught the pigeon. It was probably um, a dead pigeon, well, but you never know. Right now, she just got up off the babies and is now feeding them with what looks like a fish there. So the, if anybody wants to look, go to the DNR Eagle Cam, and you can see the babies being fed right now. And they're two cute little fuzzy little things. Yep, a couple of fuzzy heads. And they're they so sweet. Uh, They have a good territory, apparently, and I'm sure the DNR would make sure they're their cam was put up somewhere where there was a lot of food so that the eagles would uh, the eaglets would survive because you wouldn't want to be <laughs> showing dead eagles and then have them <laughs> here's your two dead baby eagles <laughs> right so they're they're doing pretty well there and when you see the two eagles together there is a noticeable difference in size yeah i was she, wondering about that because the one was born a bit earlier than the other so is that a normal thing that they usually different yeah size? and the one will be kind of um, oh he might bully the other one oh, a little he, bit he does kind of what like when he's reaching for food and she's trying to give the other one sometimes it'll just like push the other one out of the way yeah and that's natural oh. that's just the way it is and a lot of you are saying well it's just like my brother you know, <laughs> he's two years older than me and just tormented me to no end yeah so it's yeah it's the same kind of thing uh it's better when they have plenty of food it isn't quite so much if they get hungry then it's uh, more of a battle and you'll notice a difference even in the adult eagles as far as size mm-hmm. uh, the female will be uh, considerably larger than the male but it's impossible to tell when there's just one there you look at it and say well that looks big but no it doesn't really look big and uh, but when the other one comes in you can see uh, do house finches migrate? Oh, I have a yard full of house finches now. They're singing. They're so beautiful. The males have this beautiful red on them. Uh, they are permanent residents of Minnesota, but some birds undergo a short-distance migration south, and it might be to avoid paying taxes. I'm not real sure. And why they go, uh, we really don't know. Maybe their parents went, so they go. It uh, might be that they know something we don't know. I don't know. Weather conditions maybe could cause them to move a little bit. But for the most part, we can say they are permanent residents here, but they certainly might move to from your house over to the next neighborhood, a couple blocks over or something. Uh, do killdeer have any nicknames? Uh, yeah, killdeer are really noisy. Yeah. I hear them at night when I'm doing uh, owl surveys and frog surveys and things. I hear killdeer calling in the middle of the night. So the pioneers or the early naturalists called them chattering plovers and noisy plovers. And yeah, I thought noisy plovers a great name. And while leading a birding trip in North Dakota, I heard a participant call one a meadow plover. And when foraging for insects or other invertebrates, killdeer move in fits and starts. They run and then they stop. And when they pause, invariably they bob their heads up and down as if they have a severe case of the hiccups. But they're pumping their tails and their heads are just following along. And this may be a strategy to make the birds appear larger when they see me, and I'm certainly an intruder or a perceived predator. So that might be why they're bobbing that. I don't know, perhaps they bob to chase up insects. Uh, who knows exactly? But 
and whenever I whenever I see one, they're doing that, and I'm thinking a lot of it is just saying, "Boy, look at me! I am huge. You wouldn't dare mess with me, because I'll, I'll kick your butt right here." So they are beautiful birds, and they are certainly a sign of spring. I have a yard full of red-winged blackbirds, uh, common grackles, and yesterday a large flock of cowbirds came in. Uh, I think they are pretty. Uh, a lot of folks, they're not the most popular bird. I guess they are grackles. Either one are real popular, and in some areas the red-winged blackbirds aren't because they come in in such high numbers that they sometimes decimate crops. But I, I'm just happy they all come to see me. I, I'm just happy for the company, and I think cowbirds are really pretty. The females are a grayish brown, and the males are a much dark black with a brown head, and they're just really beautiful. Um, happy to see them here, and again, they are nest parasites, lay their eggs in the nests of other birds, and have that all figured out, how to raise their birds without raising their birds. So they've got it down pretty good. I tell everyone, they wait till their youngsters have uh, completed college, and then they come back and get them. The young ones never forget that they're a cowbird. And uh, scientists have been studying that, and they said that apparently the parent cowbirds will come in and visit when they're in the other nest, maybe sing nearby and talking to them and everything. So the cowbirds say, you know, that's my real dad there. So they know this, and just one day they take off and go back and join the cowbirds. So, and a lot of the, a lot of the birds we have will raise them. Now I see little chipping sparrows that are much smaller than a cowbird, and they're feeding this huge baby cowbird. Uh, some birds know that it's not a cow or their egg, and they will throw cowbird eggs out of the nest. There is some studies that said there's a, like a mafia aspect to the cowbirds. If you throw their eggs out, they will come in and destroy your eggs. So I can picture the cowbird there saying, "You know, it'd be a shame." Those beautiful eggs you got there. Be shame if anything should happen to them. So they uh, have that going for them too. So it it definitely is a jungle out there. I don't see uh, cowbirds putting any other birds in cement <laughs> shoes and throwing them in the ocean or anything yet. But they uh, they're they're pretty birds. I got to give them that. And I guess they're just doing what apparently they were meant to do. Um, uh, last question here. Somebody says, I'm seeing turkey vultures. Yeah, I'm seeing a bunch of them, too. Uh, do they circle dying animals, like a wounded animal? And No, they don't. Because think about if you're a turkey vulture and you're looking down and there's a, oh, a injured oh, raccoon that got hit by a car. You wouldn't want to fly down there because that raccoon could hurt you. Oh, you don't yeah. you don't want to just you want to make sure that raccoon is shuffled off this mortal coil before you go down. So circling vultures don't even necessarily indicate the presence of a dead animal. Uh circling vultures may be gaining altitude for long flights as they're moving around here coming up from the south. They may be just searching for food or exhibiting <laughs> playfulness. But you know uh, in I was going to say, in the old western, you used to see the circling vultures, and you know the person had probably died or something if you were searching for someone. 
Yeah, I think it was uh, As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner was talking oh. about the, the vultures up in the sky circling over. And that was, uh, as you might guess from a book that's As I Lay Dying, there was, uh, there was a lot of death in that book. So <laughs> you, they were talking about vultures circling over. Uh, you know, they soar in these thermals of warm rising air that allow them to conserve energy in flight. And they rely on those thermals of warm air to remain aloft while scanning the ground for food. So they are, uh, no, they're not circling dying animals. If they happen to be circling, or Marshal Matt Dillon crawling across the desert because he's been shot in gun smoke either. Oh, Al, before uh, you go, I've got two moon questions for you. Sure. Okay. For our, our comments or moon. First, first moon question is uh, from someone, we were chatting earlier about moon pies, and this said, person said, great show like always. Moon pies can be found at Sunshine Grocery Store in Spring Valley. They are kind of like big around s'mores, graham crackers on top and bottom, marshmallows in the middle dipped in usually chocolate. Other flavors, in my opinion, aren't as good as the chocolate. They are delicious and worth a try. That's the one. And the other question is from John. Says, I please make sure you ask Al this question. How did the man on the moon cut his hair? Eclipse it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Busy as a bee. That's from John. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh. you, John. Thank you, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. I, I, just today, I've got a little bit of the news here from Heartland. Uh, the limbo champion uh, walked into a bar and was disqualified, so that was sad to see. We were pretty proud of him. Uh, the local baker is still climbing the batter of success. The four-leaf clover farm has declared bankruptcy after a rash of bad luck. And the county highway department has declared toaster crossing signs to be a complete waste of money, and I think we all applaud that. And lastly... The hide-and-seek league says good players are hard to find. Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful, wonderful company. Hey, thank you, Al. It's always great to have you on. Enjoy the rest of your week. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.